Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and this is Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. So it's been a little while since I have recorded an intro, and last week, my podcast for Krista Couture went out without my introduction. I am so sorry, Krista. I deeply apologize. Sometimes these things happen. So I am going to do a special introduction for her separately, and I'm going to post that as a mini-sode and give her a nice little tribute. But we did do some great posting on social for Krista, and the episode was the bomb. So I'm super excited about that and how well the episode did, and I loved, loved my episode with her. This week... I've got another great episode coming your way. So I had the distinct pleasure of meeting with Terry Steinberg, who has so many accomplishments, I can't even really list them all. But um, Terry's been a disability consultant for over 25 years. And of course, she comes by it like so many of us do, honestly, as a parent. Um, she happens to be the mom of one of my favorite sibs who has done tons of stuff with us as well. So you may know her too. Um, and we talk about that in the podcast, but I don't want to dim her light. So we're just going to talk about Terry today. So Terry is in the Chicago area and she has done so much in the volunteer space And her profession has grown out of just her personal experience. But what she really focuses on is something that so many families really need, and that is plan a better future. So um, her Facebook page is uh, facebook.com plan a better future. And she is an expert in person-centered planning. So we we talk about that a lot, applying her her strategic approach on a step by step basis. Where you know whether you are an aging parent or an aging family member or not, you can do this really at any age and stage. But it is important to make sure that your loved one's voice is there at every level of the planning process and whether you're planning for a very small piece of someone's life or the biggest things like a vocation, housing, you know, big future things, um, next level caregiving, et cetera. But it's just the importance of having that person center and nothing about us without us theme that really is so important about um, about the conversation that we had today. And I loved introducing Terry to you all. I hope that you love this podcast as much as I did. And uh, if you have any anything that you want to reach out to Terry, um, go ahead and connect with her on her Facebook page. She is the quintessential expert. She's been at this a long time. 
and you will find all of her links on our show notes. And um, I know that you are going to just really dig this. Thank you so much, everybody. Hope you enjoy this. Welcome back, podcast fans. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and this is Parenting Impossible, the Special Needs Survival Podcast. Today, I'm here talking with Terry Steinberg. And you may remember, Terry, if you jump in and do our Facebook Live events, we were fortunate to have her as one of our guest hosts, and she came and talked about our uh, her path process and um, it was really fun. It was a great episode. So that was fun. But you may also remember Terry as the fantastic mom of the most fabulous Jessica Loving Siegel, who wrote a book about being a sibling to a person with a disability. She talks a lot about her brother, Billy. So Terry is very amazing in the sense that she's not only an awesome mom, but she has these really, really cool kids. So um, I want to know what her secret is to raising such fabulous kids. And uh, here we go. Terry, welcome to the show. Thank you, Annette. It's good to be here. How? How did you raise such amazing kids? Tell us a little bit about your story and about your family, how you got started. Okay. Well, I am very, very blessed to have two beautiful children. And my daughter is Jessica Leving Siegel, who if they flip back on the episodes, they can see her um, her episode. But she is six years older than my son, Bill, who is on the autism spectrum. And that's just the plumber going by. Don't, uh, oh, this is audio. They can't see. Right? This is audio. They can't see the plumber. But if you hear a little okay. background noise, you know, we just roll with it here. You know, this is our life, people. This is what we do. So no worries. When she was about six, Billy got the diagnosis of autism. And I went into full questioning mode and she kind of had to, you know, roll with the punches there for a while um, until I figured it out. I went into full research and left my job as a um, as a employment consultant and really started looking at what Illinois did for people with developmental disabilities I had to research what autism was and really what a developmental disability was and if there were cures, if there were things that people were doing, were there special therapists? And so I went to a meeting at the um, North Suburban Special Education District and the guy that was speaking, Ken Moses, gave this long you know, mourn the loss of the child you'll never have. Oh, that God. Yeah. Dress, that football playing star. And I was like, he's only three years old. How can, <laughs> say, how can you say he's going to be a potted plant? And I went <laughs> out my life making sure I proved that man wrong. Everything yeah. I did. I was asking, there were maybe 50 people in the audience. And this is before we all had cell phones and, you know, laptops. And, I, and oh, so I know. I, 
uh, a yellow pad and I was like writing my name and phone number down and handing it out. People were like, don't cry here. Call me. I'll tell you what the best speech therapist name is. And somebody else going here, you also need an occupational therapist. And they were giving me their phone numbers. So right. I just did this massive um, information dump and I was scotch taping it on a board saying, you know, this person was recommended by six out of the 50 and yep. this one only got one. I mean, I really, I researched and I started calling people and they said, oh yeah, this one's got a year long waiting list. And this one, and and you need, and this one doesn't take insurance, and right, right. And I was get on the Medicaid in your state in order to get this paid for, and oh, we got the best information from other parents, didn't we? Although sometimes it turned out to be not so great, and it was not right. Well, I I identified a few different groups. There were those that were um, just oh, woe is me, yes, poor moms. And I knew for a fact that I wasn't going to be in that group. Right. Because I was raised, you can do anything you want to do. You can be anything you want to be. Just, you know, I wanted to be the one who changed this for everybody. And I've kind of, my mom always said, you know, make this world a better place for you having been in it. So I just kind of do that. I like anytime I would go to a meeting, whether I travel all the way down to Springfield, a four hour drive to go to the Capitol, to listen to the legislators, I would then bring it back to these support group moms saying, did you know there's this thing called person-centered planning? <laughs> Let's Terry's all get in the Chicago area. I'm sorry, I forgot to mention yes. Terry's in Illinois. She's in the Chicago area, so. Illinois is very, very backwards. We are 47th worst in services that we give our people with developmental disabilities out of the 50 states. So I was bored that, I mean, here, Illinois is the eighth richest per capita, and yet we give no money to services. We have big institutions where we fund at $350,000 per person per year every year, instead of putting the money into having us something at the school, giving resources in the neighborhood. So I went about looking at all of that. And one of the moms asked me, she was working for a grant from the Illinois School Board of Education. And she asked me if I could work just, you know, 10 hours a week, kind of disseminating information that I had learned two different groups of parents that gathered at coffee shops and in people's homes and at schools. So I started there and I just felt like there was just this world of information. And the fact that I was just a mom giving it to people seemed so wrong. So I decided to work for a grant from the Illinois Council of Developmental Disabilities which is part of our, you know, big service here in Illinois. Um, And it was called the Microboard Association. And a microboard is just a small circle of support or a board of directors, something that's formed around the focused person Mm -hmm. to help support them. So in an IEP, which all your listeners are familiar with, they bring in the mom and maybe if you're lucky, they bring in the student 
And then they bring in the speech therapists and the occupational therapists and the teachers and the principal. And they all talk about what your kid can't do and what he'll never do and why they have to segregate him in some other room down the hall because he just can't make it in with. And I was like, well, stop right there. Like, Mm -hmm. no, this doesn't work for me. I need to have this in real life where I go in and I talk about his strengths and his abilities. So I I joined up with Dr. Ruthie Marie Beckwith, who's a woman from uh, Tennessee. And she taught me about these microboard concepts where they really are just kind of like an IEP, but it's people you know. So right now I'm surrounded by you know, a doctor, a lawyer, a dentist, people that do things for me to help support me to live my best life. I don't do my own teeth. I'm not my own lawyer, right? So we have people that are in your focused person's life who are more than willing to help figure out what those strengths are. And we bring them together for this thing, this tool of person-centered planning called a PATH. Back in the day, when we first brought it to Illinois, it was called the um, Planning Alternative Tomorrows with Hope. And they shortened it to just PATH. So now people know it as a PATH. But I was taught by David Weatherow, a man from Canada, mm-hmm. and by uh, Jack Pierpoint and Linda Kahn. And it is a very specific tool that you do where you gather together people including the focused person, because they're very big on nothing about us without us. And then in the room, you bring the parents. And if you have anybody that are maybe cousins or neighbors or people that know and love this child, you bring them too, so that we can talk about what their strengths are and what they're good at and kind of form a little community, or as we call it in the business, a circle of support. Mm-hmm. So that's how I got started. We did the first one for my son, I think when he was maybe 13 years old. And I might have told the story with at his path, because I'm in the business, a lot of people came because they just wanted to hear what it was. Mm-hmm. They really, you know, they weren't necessarily going to help or do anything. But there were cousins and neighbors and aunts and uncles and, you know, just other doctors and people that were speech therapists and people from the school who came on a Sunday to my home. Um, And, you know, my son is kind of a ham. So (laughs) he didn't mind that there were all these people. Some people would be petrified, you know, but my son's the kind of guy that was like, you know, have I told you you look marvelous today, darling? Like he's just (laughs) bubbling with personality. So he loved being able to have all these people in there. And they talked about, you know, he's got this great little sense of humor. When he tells jokes, he loves those little one-liners like, what did the ocean say to the sand? Nothing, it just waved. Or, you know, just these corny little, when's the best time to go to the dentist? 2.30. You know, he's he's just... (laughs) So somebody, he's really, really good at checkers because this is one of the people that we had like a neighborhood kid who came in and played checkers with him. Mm -hmm. They say he's really, really good at checkers. And somebody else said, 
well, you know, there's a nursing home down the street. Why don't you see if they'll let him go in and volunteer and play checkers with the old folks and he can tell them his little laffy taffy jokes. And, and in, in Yiddish, a shidduch was born, like a marriage was right. born. Right. They loved him. They just loved him. And he loved doing it because in our kids' lives, when they're the ones getting speech therapy and getting occupational therapy and getting relationship development therapy and on and on and on, right, somebody's right. working on them and they're the patient. They're the, but this way he was able to give back. Right, right. The, maybe the first time in his life, he was able to give back to the community and his whole sole purpose for being there was to make people enjoy themselves and laugh. And it just sparked in him such a joy of being able to make people laugh that yeah. it, when he had his bar mitzvah, the rabbi said, your purpose in life is to light up people's lives. Like mm. that's how much. So if it hadn't been for the past, never mind all the rest of it. He's 27 now, right? Never mind all that. Just the beauty of having people that know someone in a room talking about what they're good at. Right. And what they enjoy that can end up adding so much to their lives. And it just became so much a part of who he is that he went on to school to be in some school plays. And, you know, he, he gives speeches to people out in the disability community. He yeah. doesn't care if there's a thousand people in the audience. He'll get up there and, you know, bring the joy. He just, he's, he's, that's who he is. That's you know. brilliant. It, it so much a part of our life. We've done many, many paths because what it is, is first you look at, tell me, in a, you know, if you could just dream what life will look like 20 years from now and look back and say, oh, my son or my daughter is living the life, the best life I could have. I couldn't have imagined it being so good. It's so great. What does that look like? Like, what would that mean to your specific child? Would it mean that they love animals and they're living on a farm? Would it mean that they love the theater and they're living downtown where there's all kinds of, you know, social theater and, and, and movies and things to go to? Would it mean that they're kind of a tranquil kid and maybe they'd be living in the woods or by the ocean? Like if you forget, oh, we could never afford that or, you know, he could never do that or he could never be this always. That's I mean, I've been doing paths for 16 years and I always hear, oh, he could never. But my kid could never. Right. And I'm like, this is just a dream. OK, in a dream. Your kid can do anything. It's a dream. So if I dream I want to be the president of the United States, which God knows I don't, <laughs> I could do it because it's my dream, right? Yeah. Now, you may say, all right, the next possible part of that is now that we've talked about the dream, where will they be living and what will that look like? Where will they be when they're not at work? 
Will they be at the health club working out? Will they be at the library? Will they be at an art studio? Where will they be when they're not at that job and they're not at home sleeping? Right. Um, if they're home on the on the couch, is there a friend or a group of friends or somebody in their life that's watching TV with them? If they wanted to go to a movie, is there a cousin or a neighbor or somebody that they would be going with? Like, who else is in that picture in this dream? So that's how you start building it out piece by piece. Right. What does that life look like? If you're thinking about the ideal life, the best life you can picture for them, you have to actually picture it. Mm -hmm. Right. So then that's called the North Star. And then we look one step past that and we talk about what's maybe one year from now but is actually both positive and possible. Like, okay, in one year, I can't be the president of the United States, even if I did want to. Right. one year from now, I could be volunteering at my state senator's office, right? Mm -hmm. I could be doing, you know, stamps and sending out and making copies in their office. I could be, if I had some kind of legislative interest, I could work in there. So what would be both positive and possible for something that one year from now, if you were going to backwards plan it, what that looked like? So if I... And Terry, can I just ask a question? So what you're trying to do is get down to what the interest is. So I want to be president, but what's the underlying interest? Is it politics? Is it... Is it some kind of interest that's, you know, maybe something smaller than that? You know, is it learn from that? So people will say, you know, the the Uncle Joe, who's the negative nilly in the crowd will say, you know, well, uh, somebody will say. Often, I want to be. An actor on the stage, right? And little, you know, negative nillies there. Well, he could never do that. This isn't realistic. Come on, come on. You could maybe we could get you in. I'm like, stop. What what I'm learning from him saying that he wants to be on the stage is a variety of things without having the acting part. Yes. And you could put him in the theater, but I'm hearing that he doesn't want you to find him a job down in the basement by himself shredding. Exactly. Right. <laughs> right? That's right. What, they do. what I'm hearing is that he wants to be among people that he can react and interact with. So yes. there are yes. things that you can, if somebody says to you, well, you know, I would like to maybe um, work on the computer when I'm, you know, a year from now, I'd like a job. He's not telling you that he wants to be a busboy or a bagger at the jewels, surrounded by people talking to him all the time. He's telling you he wants a more serene job. And so much of the time, they just give out the jobs that they have and they want to fit everybody into the three boxes that they have. Filth. store, And... And, you know, movie theater and, yeah. uh, and um, 
I, I forget what the other one is. It's usually like, like the you know, bus boy. Yeah. Have, yeah that sort of thing. Up. If it's a girl, they put them in a flower shop or, it's or, or a bag of jewel. Yeah. And, you know, so, we had an experience like this too, where somebody had expressed an interest in, you know, I want to, I want to play baseball with the Red Sox. Well, that wasn't going to happen in that way. But when you drill down, the interest was in baseball and the yes. interest was in the Red Sox, but you could, you know, you could find a connection there with Absolutely. baseball and with, you know, tangentially with the Red Sox, you know? And so there was a way to do that with a baseball team that didn't have to be major league. And right. so to work on the love of the Red Sox in another way. And it didn't all have to connect with, I want to play baseball for the Red Sox. Oh, true. They you could know? be working first starting out at the high school, working with the coach, just doing something with statistics. Exactly. And then they take that and go to the corner shop where on the college campus, they sell the pennants. And they exactly. could go start to learn there. There's just so much of people listen. Being, being a ball boy. And that's the key, Terry, is that people just don't hear. They're not listening. Yeah. And they're not having a fulfilling conversation with the disabled person. It's so dismissive all the time. Yes. So I, yes, love, this. I love this conversation that we're having. So I know I interrupted you, but I'm so excited about no, this conversation. So please continue. There's, there's so much. We call it backwards planning. We look at if this is the goal one year from now, let's say to be working in that, you know, pennant shop where they sell on the college campus and talk baseball to all the kids that come in. If that's the goal, one year from now, we talk about what we would need to do and kind of backwards plan it. If you're going to be working in that shop, talking baseball in one year, then what do we have to do in six months, right? And right. then if we're going to do, say we're going to look at all of the different stores that sell Red Sox stuff in right. your area, OK, somebody's going to do that. And that can be what those cousins are in the room for. OK, right. who's willing who's willing to make a commitment to just Google where in this two mile radius you can buy Red Sox pennants, talk mm -hmm. baseball, any kind of baseball. Just give me a, a list. And then you say, all right. Now we're going to maybe put a speech together so that when we call or go visit these places that sell Red Sox stuff, we sound like somebody they might want to have around. And maybe your person with a pension for baseball is one that can quote all kinds of statistics, which we find is a huge huge thing in the disability world. We have a lot of people who can quote statistics that's and right. that's considered a gift. 
And an ability if you're working at a sports memorabilia store. Right, right. Now we're going to look at what do we have to do in three months? Like we want to prepare. We want to do some mock interviews. If we're going to go get a job there, we want to talk about what are we going to wear, right? What's appropriate? Do you shake hands? Don't you shake hands? Do you look them in the eye? Don't you? How do you greet them? What do you? There's all kinds of things that go into a job interview before you've said word one. Right. So we want to start doing some mock interviews. So all of the neighborhood kids and the aunts and the uncles can be people who are doing mock interviews with mm-hmm. our focus person. And you say, well, you know, they, there's always somebody in the group that says, you know, tell me what I can do to help. I want to do, I want to help, but I don't know what you need. Right. And at a path, you've now identified, you're the one that's going to go Google. You're the one that's going to find out how much the bus costs to get there. You're the one that's going to find out how I go get a bus pass and how much that costs. You're mm-hmm. the one that's going to go so that you have now left a path planning session and everybody's got like a little 10 minute something that's kind of an assignment that they joyfully are willing because they love and care about this person to do. So that's just it in a nutshell. It's just, I mean, we take it back. There are actually eight steps to it, but the the tool you can see is something that you can do with people even without disabilities. Yeah. You know, when they're getting ready to go to college. Right. What do you do in a dorm? How does that look? How does that work when you got a roommate? Let's how to negotiate. Let's practice that skill. Let's do that. Oh, I so- wish more young people worked on this before they ended up in bad situations, for sure. Yeah. Well, there's so I remember when Jessica went to college, she said. People around her were having hissy fits and crying all over the place because they were all turning their clothing pink. Nobody knew how to do laundry. And I'm like, what's up with these moms who would send their kid off to college? You think that you're doing them a favor by doing their laundry in and. And they go to college and they're like, they're supposed to be studying, not trying to figure out how to keep the white separate from the pink. You know, it's just mind blowing to me that that she finally said to me, you know, mom, you, you were a pretty good mom. (laughs) Wait, let me put the tape recorder because I, I give this thing when I, when I'm teaching the abilities, I said on my washing machine right now, there's a green sticky. I taught both of my children when they were 10, autism or no autism. You count 10 items, you put them in, you throw in a pod, you turn to the green sticky and pull. And the machine magically turns on and water comes and washes (laughs) and goes through cycles. And it's like a miracle. But a mom who has never taught their kid how to do laundry right and sends them off to college is doing them a severe disservice because the level of capacity you know we're always talking about our kids with disabilities that we're trying to build capacity mm-hmm. there's moms of typical kids and they're not building capacity yeah. so in the meantime we then bring our path all the way back to now 
what does life look like right now? And we just kind of laundry list it, like does not know how to do laundry. <laughs> you know. But but seriously, for our, our kids with disabilities, that's who we're doing a path for. It could be for anyone. But we look at right now, you know, they're 14 and a half. They're about to have an IEP meeting. They are working with a speech therapist, working with an occupational therapist, working with a relationship development person, working on social skills, blah, 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 blah. We just laundry list. Right. Life looks like now. So that the people that are there in the room kind of get an idea of, you know, what the now is. Right now, it may be overwhelming to the mom, to the kid themselves, to the people who don't know how to help, grandma who never heard of autism, you know, like <laughs> right now we just list this is what life is. And then we kind of ground it to the now and we look to people in the audience there in the room to enroll. So when I say enroll, I don't mean like a Tupperware party, they got to buy something. But I mean like that little piece of I will spend five minutes in Google and find out how to get your kid a bus pass. Because otherwise, everything is on mom's shoulders and mom is still doing all that paperwork and all the insurance forms and all of the IEP goals and the, you know, health forms. So it is that we enroll them in taking a little piece off mom's shoulder, whether it is, you know, we say, well, one year from now, we want to have them be able to cook a meal. Right. Yeah. So grandma's sitting in the room and grandma's like, well, they can come over and I'll teach them how to make an apple pie. Right. Or, or somebody chili, right? Grilled cheese. I'll teach them how to use the microwave, like how yeah. to throw things in the crock pot, right. you know, how to cook spaghetti. There are so many things that then people in the room get the idea of like, oh, well, yeah, I can help teach them this. Oh, I can, I can do that. Or, you know, I could take them to Chipotle and give mom a half an hour to herself. So there's so many things about this that's so important. First of all, for the men in the family, it does give them some assignments that they don't they don't always see that they have a role to play, yes. you know, and that can be really helpful for bonding. The second thing that is so important that I want to add here is that it's not just for giving mom or dad or parents a break. It's so that the adult or emerging adult child can see that there are other adults in the world that they can rely on and that their circle is bigger and is growing. And it's a very big learning process as they become an emerging adult. And, you know, it's important that their world stretches a little bit at this transition time. And it's important for parents to start that process of letting go a little bit. It's just. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Yes, it's very. We do is called um, recognizing ways to build strength. Mm -hmm. So with that. Yes. No, go ahead. No, that was what I was going to say. So go ahead and take that piece forward for us. Part of that is that, you know, we have to learn. I mean, everything goes our way, obviously, because we're perfect. (laughs) 
I'm looking behind me and I'm like, who is she talking to? Because I don't know anybody like that. <laughs> okay, maybe just maybe one something won't go your way that you plan. Okay. So we need to say here, I want to model how I behave when things don't go my way right? Like I might go take a jacuzzi or have a glass of wine or phone a friend or dance. There are things that I do when things don't go my way Mm -hmm. that are things that I can model as opposed to having a hissy fit, banging on the wall, hitting myself in the head. Right. You know, there are a lot of things that when things don't go our way that we need to be able to know like coping mechanisms. Mm -hmm. So we look at ways that we can build strength. I know with my son, he has a thousand DVDs and a thousand Legos and action figures. He will just line them up and have these little wars. And I pity the fool who touches one of his little action figures and Uh, because he knows where everybody is. But then some people will put on headphones yeah. And they'll learn that that's a way. Some people will go for a run. Right. And they learn that that's a way to cope. So we do things, we, we teach ways, we recognize ways that we can build strength and that we can teach our loved ones that they can build strength. So because we don't know it all, And sometimes even with Google, we don't know how to ask. Otherwise, we know Google does know it all. But we have things like I used to go. I was incredibly active. I was the vice president of the chapter for Autism Speaks uh, when when they were, you know, first formed. And I I did all these fundraisers and I just gave my world, my every waking being to try to, you know, spread the wealth and, and learn And all of the things that we help develop, they now have these tools like um, a 30-day kit. I would have moms calling me constantly. My so-and-so was just diagnosed. And can you talk to the blah, 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 the neighbor of the kid, the kid, the mom? And they developed this handy-dandy book. Like, obviously, everything that every group does is not going to fall in line with your beliefs. Sure. But the fact that we know that there are resources out there mm-hmm. is the point of another way to recognize how to see where you might have a deficit that can be found in a resource from someone rather than recreating the wheel is to identify resources. Yes. Things where there are other people who've researched things and who may be able to give advice. And I say take advice with a grain of salt because, you know, I've heard people that are doing all kinds of bizarre things because someone told them that this may or may not. And, you know, I'm pushing one or another. Right. But all I'm saying is that there are resources out there. And that the best thing that you can do when your head is spinning with, I don't know what to do. What should I, where do I, how do I, what's first is to look up other resources and talk to other people. I personally made friends with a group that had kids that were 10 years older than mine. Oh, 
They were huge mentors to me. Aren't you a smarty pants? That's that's incredible because that kind of stuff scared the bejesus out of me because I I was afraid to look forward that far. So oh, see, I was the opposite. I wanted to know when we got the diagnosis, I wanted to meet some kids in high school that had autism because I'd never seen anybody with autism. I wanted to know. And they were like, well, you met one, you met one. I'm like, I don't care. I just want to meet one. Let me meet one. Let me see what that might look like. Wow. And so I started reaching out to other people and I saw this one's verbal. This one's nonverbal. This one's wearing adult pull-ups. This one drives a car. This one can tell you what day I was born, the day of the week back in, you know, I mean, I got, I did, I learned. Wow. But what I got to see is that there wasn't going to be this potted plant if I had anything to do about it. That's he was amazing, Terry. Be everything he could be. And that was what I got was that anything is possible. So I looked towards what other people were doing. And they told me about this cliff, you know, oh, when they're 22, they fall off the cliff. (laughs) In case your viewers don't know, is that when they are finished with school and you become the big case manager in the sky and everything falls on you. There's no more school football games to go to or school speech therapy to go to or school teachers and counselors telling you what they should do and could do for your child. It's just you. So I wanted to say, I'd be damned if my kid, he's going to soar off that cliff. And he did because I went through all of that work of finding out what transition planning they had at the school. And then what was best practice in Minnesota, in Oregon, and then bringing it to the school to say, yeah, this might be what you do now, but that doesn't work for me. You You must have been the most funnest person in the school school district. I always brought frappuccino and (laughs) bowls. I was the kill them with kindness, more flies, honey mom. I brought them gifts, but I also brought packets of wisdom because, like I said, I was able to go to the state and I read the state of states and saw what states were doing it better and was able to say, hey, they don't have to go be a busboy or a bagger at the Jewel. Look at this thing called discovery. This is what they do. This is called so. Back to um, the path before we start on the transitioning, the next step, and I said it's like an eight-step thing from the path, is that after we have looked at recognized ways to build strength, we kind of chart action. Like, okay, now we've, we've gotten ourselves filled with some knowledge of what we could do or what's out there or what we could maybe try. And now it's time to make a plan. And a a path is just a moving document. You don't put it in the drawer. You put it up on the wall. You know, it could be like this picture on my, my, it's a six foot piece of paper that we bring to someone's home. Right. And we tape it up. And with markers, we say, Here, let's draw the plan. And so we might say in the next three months, 
what are some actions we're going to take? And here's where grandma is going to go make that, you know, spaghetti and teach the garlic bread. And then on next week on Tuesday, we're going to come home and, you know, they're going to have cooked a spaghetti dinner and learned. We might have, here's where Uncle Sam is going to go open the bank account and show them how to work a checkbook. And yep. we're going to do all that, you know, so it might be that somebody is going to take my daughter to a knitting circle at a store where the people just sit after the store is closed and they sit around and talk and they knit together. And we're going to build that connection in the community. Wherever we go, we build social capital. So we are out there in the community. And if there were a God forbid, if there were somebody taking advantage we have enough sweet spots in the community where we know someone will say, hey, that's Billy. Leave him alone. I've known him all his life. Come on, Billy. You don't want to talk to those people. Let's get you home. You know, let's help you out because there's that. So that means that every time you take your kid and say, all right, you know, we're going to teach him how to talk to receptionists, Right. Charting next step, we're going to have him plan his own doctor appointment, barbershop appointment, dentist appointment, whatever it is, on speakerphone, if he's verbal, right? And talk to the receptionist and say, hi, I need to book a dentist appointment. I need to book a haircut, whatever that looks like for your child. Mm. And have them actually be educating people in the community who are receptionists who are going to go home and go, Wow, I talked to this mom, I mean, for the first time ever, because they really have all been hidden away in institutions in Illinois. There yeah. aren't, you know, people always in the schools. They just started commingling. They've always been in a separate, special room down the hall. And I'm, so you know. The important thing for the audience to know and to absorb is that People with intellectual and developmental disabilities can participate at every level. I think that there's a misunderstanding that people with more moderate to profound disabilities can't participate in their life. And they can. They can. You know, it may take a little extra thought and a little extra work, but they really can. And my Elizabeth absolutely participated in choice making and her even though she was nonverbal she could you know let her choices be known she used her voice and it was important you had to listen and you had to ask and you had to be present with her and you had to be patient but she certainly you know voiced her preferences about caregivers and about very personal things. And I think, you know, we too frequently are very busy and kind of, you know, just like run roughshod over choice making. It's faster if we do it. (laughs) It's not the right thing to do. Right. Take the time. Even if somebody has to spell it out on a keyboard It's much better if we can teach our kids at a younger age, especially those that are nonverbal, because they need to be able to know if somebody is toileting them and there's something that doesn't feel right, they need to know how to express that 
and get that out so that we can do something about it. There are people in all kinds of institutions. And one of my jobs at CRA was to do paths for people living in an institution to transition them out. And many of them were nonverbal and abused. And some were able to talk, some were able to talk about their abuse. But unfortunately, I heard stories of abuse more often than not in the institutions where we think we're keeping them safe. You know, so um, if indeed we have someone who is able to make a choice, even if it starts with little kids, do you want to wear the red shirt or the blue shirt? You know, do you want to eat the ice cream or the cupcake? Do you want to go to the park or the beach? Letting people make choices and see that we honor those choices is an integral part of self-esteem and one that is overlooked often. I used to have a partner um, who was in a wheelchair and in her 30s, and people would talk to me like, well, do do you think she wants I'm like, she's sitting right here. Why don't you ask her? And people would pat her on the head. She'd get furious. I mean, people have just this, this bias against people with disabilities of this must mean you you are a two-year-old. You know, it's just this, this foul stereotype that needs to be changed so, so badly. And the quicker we can do that by helping them to make choices at their earliest possible convenience, the better we are doing for them. And for all of those receptionists and, you know, people that had to kind of sit and figure out what that person was trying to communicate to them. That is so, so true. That's really just so amazing. We need to educate the community as well. Absolutely. And they want to know. It's of course they're so excited about this progress. They they are incredibly enthusiastic about it. Incredibly enthusiastic. So I can't believe it, but we're out of time. Uh, oh my God, so much more to go. All right, well, we'll do it again, I promise. We, we are, um, so in wrapping up the, the PATH process um, with, with all of the uh, content that we've discussed, and I just love talking about this stuff, so I'm sorry that I really just dug in here with you. I really, I don't want to let this go, Terry, without just some final advice for for parents, for siblings, for any caregivers that are in this, or even for somebody with a disability themselves who are going through, you know, some difficult planning or transitions. Could you just offer some final words of wisdom for us as we are you know, challenged by uh, transition? Well, one of the final grants that I worked on before COVID, I spent three years on Partners in Policymaking, a grant from the Illinois Council on Developmental Disabilities. And we trained self-advocates and some family members on how to become future leaders and make a better society, make look forward to system change. And so while the path is change on an individual level, 
I would say to all of your listeners that they should become, take your child to your local state rep and your local state senator and introduce them and just explain to them that your family votes and that you have issues that you need them to know about. And that if they have something come up with a disability or related to the school and disability or related to healthcare and disability, that they should have your phone number so that they can at least ask your opinion about it because you're a constituent and that you may be able to help them to sway them to actually write a bill to do the right thing for our children and not antiquated. They want to help. I've had them in my home. I've worked for campaigns. They just don't have access to parents that are willing to say, here's what I need. And so my best advice to your listeners is to say, just go be friends, go make your faces known. And if it means stuffing envelopes for them, so be it. But they, like for Billy, they all know Billy. For Jessica, they all know Jessica. My kids can say, hey, there needs to be a this. And my legislators will jump on it and say, tell me what you need. In fact, when it's a slow season, they call me up and say, are there any bills that you think we could put together? We're slow. Yeah, put my people to work. So that's, that's wonderful. Every that system change. That's it. Just it's bringing back memories of that young girl who came out of her wheelchair and crawled up the Capitol steps. Do you remember that? Yes. yes. So how far we've gotten that here's the woman who wins the Tony and she's in her wheelchair and they can't even get her on the stage to accept her award. How many years later? We've gotten nowhere. We're growing so tiny steps, but we need to do much better. I know. I You're know. It's true. We, we are making little bits of progress, but it's just yeah. so slow. And, you know, we're doing a lot of DEI work now, but everybody forgets about disability when they're talking about DEI. Yes, so I, yes. I don't, um, I don't know how we're going to keep pushing forward the disability agenda and those of us who are you, one of the best ways is the money follows the person. Yeah. Because has a different well, I can take the money to my child in my community and build the supports that he needs in our community because he's lived here all his life and they know him and we've worked so hard to build social capital that so, I don't want them to put the money into downstate and put him in a home. Terry, there's a huge problem with that. First of all, it's moving forward people, I think it's called now, not money follows the person. And you can only use it to come out of an institutional placement. It's not used as a preventative. That's the fatal flaw with that program. If you use the money, you got to change the system. You got to be able to use the money to prevent uh, an institutional stay. One, when we shift our mindset, and you're getting me all fired up here, but when you, because I, I sit on a national committee that is dealing with this issue right now, and we're trying to get Biden's attention on this. If you shift your mindset to preventing institutionalization and to just clearing up that 
Medicaid bias for institutional yes. care, we have to focus on community-based programs and community-based care. They're less expensive. It brings choice back to every person. I'm so over my time, but you you did this to me by bringing- Call your local ARC and they have form letters that you can send. They'll tell you, put in your zip code. They'll tell you who your legislators are and you too can make a change. We all need to take to the streets in our you know, yes. wheelchairs and with our walkers and you know, marching, rolling, whatever form you can take. Now we can take to the computers. And, and take to the computers and whatever in whatever way we have to be seen, though. We have to be seen. That's why I think computers are not as effective. Yes, because I do true. think we need to be seen as a... One of the things we did in Partners in Policymaking, we taught them how to have a rally. And it was a great session. Got to have physical presence. You really yes. do because you yes. have to show who we are and why we matter because otherwise we are so hidden away, Terry. And that is, you know, that's important. We don't have a value statement and so many people, including legislators devalue us. I mean, they talk a good game. Yes. And that's the first step is to go visit them and make, they're not just a person's name. You are a face. You're a cute little face in their office, eating their candy. (laughs) All right. Okay. We have to go. So Terry, wonderful, wonderful interview. Thank you so much for talking us through a person-centered plan um, and what you call the path process. Oh, you're a woman of many, many talents. I am so happy to meet you. Well, we've met before. I'm so happy to talk to you again. And thank you so much for spending some time with us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I just wanted to take a second to say how much I appreciate you taking the time to listen to these podcasts. I'm having a blast doing them, and I hope that you're finding the content to be what you were really hoping. If you are, please take a second to leave a rating and a review. It's so helpful in getting this content out to people who really need to hear it. Thank you so much.